welcome to Australian Women Preach, a podcast that aims to raise women's voices in preaching the gospel. Our intention is to model the church we want to be, inclusive, diverse and welcoming. Brought to you by WATAC, Women and the Australian Church and The Grail in Australia. Angela McCarthy is an adjunct senior lecturer in theology at the University of Notre Dame, Australia, and a member of the Plenary Council of the Catholic Church in Australia. She's been a teacher all her adult life and has worked in parishes in liturgy and music. Her academic career was in teaching theology with a specialty in scripture, art and theology. She's married to John, has four children and 14 grandchildren. The readings for today, the 28th Sunday in Ordinary Time Year C, offer us two stories about cures from the dreaded disease leprosy. In the first century, people lived in a very confined spaces and any skin disorder could be infectious and so the sufferers were banished to the edges of the village. In the second book of Kings, chapter 5, 14 to 17, Naaman, a powerful Aramean warrior, suffers from leprosy but is cured through the mediation of Elisha. It's worth reading the whole story in the second book of Kings. A young Israeli girl has been taken as a slave in Naaman's household and she tells her mistress, Naaman's wife, that the prophet Elisha in Samaria can cure him. The king of Aram allows Naaman to go and seek a cure, taking many gifts and a letter to the king of Israel. The king of Israel was upset because he's unable to cure him and thinks he's picking a quarrel. But when Elisha hears of the situation, he tells the king to send Naaman to him. When he reaches Elisha's house, he doesn't even come to the door, but sends him a message for Naaman to wash himself in the Jordan seven times. Naaman is angry at this as he feels demeaned and he goes off in a rage. The servants advise him to do as he's told, as it's just a simple thing to do. He washes himself seven times and his flesh is restored like the flesh of a young boy. Once the prophet Elisha has cured the powerful warrior, he then declares that the God of Israel is indeed the only real God. He takes back to his home some earth from Israel so that he can worship the God of that land. Gods were still understood to be anchored in a particular place. They were geographical gods. His life has changed by the experience and he's grateful. About 800 years later, in Luke's chapter 17, 11 to 19, the account of Jesus curing 10 lepers appears. Both miracles take place, not in the place of God's chosen people, but in Samaria. The Samaritans were shunned by the Jews for their opposing beliefs, especially that God's temple was in Samaria, not in Jerusalem, and for their intermarriage. The significant common element in these two healings from leprosy is the gratitude of the foreigners depicted in both. The psalm neatly ties these two stories together by proclaiming that the Lord has revealed to the nations his saving power. Psalm 97 verse 2. Simeon, when he held the newborn Jesus in the temple, declared that he would be a light of revelation for the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. That's from Luke Chapter 2, verse 32. Naaman is a foreigner from the land of Aram, and the leper who comes back in gratitude is a Sumerian. Both of these Gentiles offer praise and glory to the God of Israel. 
when we turn to Luke's account of this particular healing miracle, there are also some other things to discover. This miracle is not in any of the other Gospels, and so we know that it's a part of Luke's particular theological narrative about Jesus. Jesus has been teaching his disciples while on the journey to Jerusalem. He's been teaching them about faith and about being grateful that you can do the work that God has given you and not expect thanks. He uses the image of the slave in the household. They do what is required without expecting thanks. Both issues surface in the story of the 10 lepers. The one leper who returns, a Samaritan, praises God and prostrates himself at Jesus' feet. Jesus tells him that his faith has saved him, a perfect illustration from his previous teaching. Faith is a key element of being part of salvation. Salvation means being aware of our God who has set us free and a response to salvation is giving thanks to God and giving praise. Naaman gave praise and thanks and wished to continue, so he took two mule loads of earth from Israel back to his home country. Salvation in Luke is also about being set free from the burdens and restrictions of this world, not just in the world to come. Being set free from the addictions and distractions of this world so that we can live in the kingdom of God. The gratitude of the healed leper presents a different idea and one that urges us to dig deeper into this story. Jesus has taught his disciples not to expect gratitude. And yet, here he is asking for it. We're not all ten made clean. The other nine, where are they? It seems that no one has come back to give praise to God except this foreigner. Jesus' words in verses 17 to 18. Does God require our thanks in order to continue to do good things for us? Unlike Mark and Matthew, Luke lessens the emotional aspects of Jesus' character, and yet here we have a sense of disappointment. Why has only a foreigner come back? Where are the others? Gratitude does matter. Where does gratitude fit in the kingdom of God? A major theme in Luke is about the coming of the kingdom of God. It's not a geographical space, a future heavenly space, or a political space, but a space where God is evident in the behaviour of the people who inhabit the space, who form the community. People who are grateful, who know that they are saved, who know that God has set them free. As Father John Barron said, our life is not about earning heaven, but reflecting heaven. When children are small, we teach them gratitude. One of the first words we teach them is ta. Learning to say thank you in an appropriate way is part of our culture, part of our etiquette. We do not do it because we want to be thanked endless times during the day as we care for little ones. We do it because we know that it is important in human behavior and in the kingdom of God. Gratitude is also a theological theme. It teaches us something about God. The God part of us wants to spread goodwill and a sense of being loved, and we know that a good way to do that is to be grateful. Part of being in the kingdom of God is being able to say thank you. It leads us to an openness to God's grace. Mary E. Moore talks about God's grace as being the throbbing heartbeat of God in the world. We must have faith to hear the heartbeat and we have to choose to be thankful. By choosing thankfulness, we can defeat bitterness. 
One of the things that saddens me today is the number of places that have put up signs to encourage respect within that environment. When you ring Centrelink, you're reminded that respect is necessary and abuse will not be tolerated. There's a sign at the GP's office. There are signs in libraries and supermarkets. What has happened in our society that we need to ask for such respect? The absence of thankfulness. A contemporary idea of the importance of the individual cancels out social responsibility. If we want something, we've every right to demand it with whatever demeanor we choose. This is an absence of grace. When really difficult episodes occur in our life, we must choose how we will respond to them. Recently, I experienced cancer and the surgery and following treatment reduced me to a very vulnerable and frail human being. Through careful spiritual preparation and excellent medical care, I survived well and was cared for with unbounded love and tenderness by family and friends. My response at every turn was thankfulness. Throughout the experience, I had the undoubted knowledge of God's presence during the worst times and the best. I was conscious of my salvation through the grace of God, that wonderful heartbeat of God in the world. One of the things to be grateful for are the small, precious moments. When my husband suffered a very serious traffic accident, after weeks of recuperation in bed, he was able to get out in the spring sunshine and enjoy a cup of coffee with me, pain-free. The experience was graced. We felt God's presence in the love that binds us and in the joy of being able to appreciate creation on a beautiful sunny morning. God's heartbeat was evident and we were grateful. In the care of the aged, whether in the home environment or in a residential facility, it's critical that we choose thankfulness. It's critical that those being cared for choose to be thankful and those that care for them to choose to do the same. While a carer might not demand thankfulness as Jesus taught, it makes a difference when it is part of the social exchange. It lifts both the giver and the receiver. It is a moment of grace. It's difficult when a person suffering dementia can no longer be thankful, but for the carer, being thankful for the person they once were can make all the difference. When family and friends struggle to remain in touch with a dementia patient, careful encouragement to them to be thankful for the past can nurture the spiritual life of both the carer and the one being cared for. One of the effects is to bring about the kingdom of God in the world, to make our space one of grace where we can feel the heartbeat of God. You have been listening to Australian Women Preach, brought to you by WATAC, Women and the Australian Church and The Grail in Australia. You can find out more about WATAC at watac.net.au and The Grail at grailaustralia.org.au. The music in this podcast is from the song Truth from the album Into Silence by songwriter, musician, theologian and teacher Danielle Ann Lynch. You can hear the full version on Spotify. Spotify.